little game. Is that okay? It's okay to play games in church. So we're starting this new series called Different by Design. It's a relationship series about dating, marriage, relationships. And so I thought no better way to start this series than since I have my parents up here. This is my mom and dad. I don't know if you guys knew. This is my dad, my mom. If you saw my mom hobbling, it's because she broke her toe last night. Watching my kids. It's a dangerous world being a grandma. Um, but we're going to play the shoe game. I don't know if you've, who has seen the shoe game at wedding receptions before. This is what happens. Is they've been married like 35 years, so, so they have so much more experience and wisdom than newlyweds. And so I thought we would play that. I'm going to ask them each, or I'm going to ask them questions, and they respond by raising a shoe up. The Birkenstock represents my mom. This is Tisa, my mom. And the gray shoe represents my dad, Mike. So I'll ask him a, a question like, um, who talks the most? Something like that. And if my mom thinks dad talks the most, she'll raise his shoe. If she thinks he talks the most, or she talks the most, she'll raise her shoe. And they'll do this simultaneously together. They don't know each other's answers. They've never, they, uh, I'm asking different questions this service than I did last service. They've never seen the questions. I wrote them all by myself. So it's full gut reactions here. You guys ready? Is that okay? All right. Let's start off with this question here. Who has better hearing? All right. Who has the worst direction? Sense of direction. <laughs> Who has to always have the final word in an argument? <laughs> Who's the smarter one? Who's the cheapest? <laughs> Who is the biggest baby when it comes to being sick? <laughs> Who dances better? <laughs> all right, and the last question, which we all care most about. Who wears the pants in the relationship? All right. Well, thank you. Here's this is for you, Mom. Let's turn the stool around for you guys. You guys did great, right? They need a little counseling, but you know that's okay. You did, you know, you did worse actually. Yeah. But you know, pastors need counseling too, so that's okay. All right. You want your stand, huh? Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm gonna leave now. Thank you. Oh, wow, that was fun. We've never actually played that. Uh, last service was the very first time ever. And uh, they didn't do that back when we got married. So I don't know. I don't even think we had. It was. It was fun. Fun. It's okay to have fun. Hey, uh, we are going to start a new series today. And it is called Different by Design. Today, Tisa and I are going to present... Next, uh, we're going to talk about men and women. Next weekend, it'll be Nathan, Pastor Nate, and his wife, Chantel. They'll talk about 
uh, commitment issues. And then the following weekend, it'll be Pastor Glendy and John, uh, her husband, who will be presenting around uh, marriage. And then the last one is on sexuality. And that'll be just me because nobody else wanted to join me with that particular <laughs> topic. I don't know why. Bunch of chickens. That's all I got to say. Well, hey, here's the big idea for today. We're going to talk about men and women. And we, here's the big idea. We are uniquely different, right? And we are made to need each other. We're uniquely different, and we're made to need each other. Sounds like really basic, doesn't it? Pretty simple. But the truth is, is that we often, we often kind of forget the fact that we need each other really, like, badly. We need each other. And I'm not talking about just sexually. I'm talking about we need each other in life. And um, so I want to talk more about that. I kind of discovered that with Tisa um, when we were married for about four years. We went down to Costa Rica to do mission work. While we were down there, it was the first time she had left her home in Texas. We were down there, and uh, she started noticing some problems with our team and with some stuff that had to do with, like, we were totally underfunded. And so she was pointing out these problems, and I was, like, kind of ticked off. Like, she's thwarting my game plan of being down here and God's game plan, you know, like, get behind me, Satan. And <laughs> what I know, it was like a cocky, arrogant, prideful attitude and ignorant. And besides that, I was completely right. <laughs> and... and uh, the, the, the truth is I got away, and as I, and this went over the course of almost a year while we were down there. We were down there a couple years. And so what I learned, just to save you all the details, is that um, it really was a hard issue in me that I, I don't know where it came from. It wasn't even on my radar, but I really wasn't valuing her in the way uh, that I should have. Uh, I'll just confess. I mean, there was a superiority kind of thing going on in my, deep in my heart that I wasn't aware of, of like my way is a better way, the way I think is better, um, my decisions are better, she just needs to kind of follow, she just needs to listen, she just needs, and I know it sounds like antiquated and horrible, but it, it is kind of where I was, and uh, thankfully uh, over that period of time, I kind of woke up to the fact that, man, I deeply need her perspective as a female, as my wife, um, and all the unique things that she had. And God really gave us a promise that where we would come together and listen to one another, that he would, he would just bless that. And wherever we tried to get our own way, it just wasn't going to work out. So let, let's start in the Bible in the Old Testament, kind of the first kind of man and woman, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, if you have a Bible. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. So God is not a gender, right? He is God, and he possesses the very best of both masculine and feminine qualities within himself. And how do we know this? Because he created us male and female. He created us, and we both came from him, and we were created in his image. And so it takes both people, both male and female, if we're going to really uh, be able to reflect that image of God back to the world. And so we need each other. In the past, we used to the, use the word gender just specifically as our sex, male or female, right? 
And now, of course, in our culture, there's another conversation going on about gender that it's more maybe broadly understood as a social construct of masculine and feminine roles and maybe behaviors. And there's lots of variation there. And of course, and then with some in that conversation, they would add in kind of sexuality. Gender queer or non-binary is a term being used today that, say, that basically says, I don't fit the societal norms around me. I don't fit what, it, what society is telling me, what it should be for me to be a man or for me to be a woman. I don't dress like that. I don't feel like, I don't feel that way inside. And there's a lot of confusion today around gender. Would you agree? There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of stuff out in our culture today. And, uh, and when it comes to gender and sexuality. When it comes to conversations around that particular topic, I notice that Christians have two basic kind of uh, places they land in that. Um, neither are great. One is kind of a hold the fort, kind of a rigid, dogmatic, um, old school approach where it's a lot about just telling and talking, not so much about listening or asking questions or learning. It's more about rules than relationship. The other posture that I've seen amongst Christians is kind of buy whatever the culture is selling, you know, out of a desire to fit in to culture and often spawned as well by a lack of biblical knowledge that we see Christians that oftentimes will just embrace whatever the culture is saying in order to kind of show uh, tolerance and love but it's a misguided and misinformed, often, tolerance and love. So we, as Christians, we need to learn how to walk in a tension that's there in our faith today. There is a very real tension, a tension where we understand the Bible and we have, we have convictions around the Bible and what God's saying. It's not just the Bible. It's that God has a heart for his people that he created, and it's reflected in the Scripture. And so we've got to understand it, and we've got to have some convictions around it while showing tremendous love and respect and listening, uh, understanding, compassion upon everybody around us. Those that are different, especially those that may be struggling with confusion in their life. And, we, and that's the, the kind of people that God has called us to be. So there is a tension we need to learn how to walk in where we don't cave to the culture, but that we also don't come across as this rigid, dogmatic, not listening, low compassion, kind of judgmental Christian. So these struggles are real, and they're often coming from uh, in the midst of our fractured society. I mean, we have fracturing. We have fatherless parent or, or children out there. We have uh, more drug addiction and more abuses and more uh, domestic abuse, more depression today, more suicide than ever before. And so all of this is just creating this brokenness in our society that's also creating a lot, of, a lot of confusion. So we, as Christians, need to walk in truth and in grace. Yeah, so um, let's talk about what the Bible actually does teach um, around this um, subject. God made us unique as individuals. Um, we're distinctly different as men and women, and we absolutely need each other. It says in Genesis, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And the word helper here actually means complement. It doesn't mean like um, to stay at home and cook and clean. 
Um, it actually really means to provide for the other um, what they lack, what that other person may lack. Um, so in the moment when God uh, created a, a woman, he took the rib out of man, and in that very moment, from then on, we need each other. Yeah. Sam, we need each other for more than just sex, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk more about sex and sexuality in a couple weeks. We're going to save that whole discussion of sexuality later. Uh, but the truth is, is that we need each other in life. So whether you're married or whether you're single, no matter where you are in that continuum, uh, here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11. It says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. That, that means that as a broader context than just marriage. It means in life, in school, in business, in leadership, uh, that we process differently, we emote differently, we have different ways that we're able to come alongside of each other and help each other. Uh, this is what, uh, uh, let's see, so this is what the Bible says in Genesis in chapter, or in verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, we hear that often at weddings, right? We hear that a lot. But have you thought of it in a broader context than just a wedding or a marriage and really thought about it in light of life, in light of like maybe a work team, a business, a leadership role, in terms of a friendship, in terms of our families, that we really do need each other. When, when God uh, took woman out of man, he automatically made us at that juncture need each other in ways that we never would have before. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that a man, uh, in order to be whole, has to have a woman in order to be in, in a married relationship in order to be complete. I'm not saying that of a woman either. That God is the only one who can complete us. We don't need, you don't, if you're single here, you don't need to be married in order to uh, be whole or to be made uh, complete. Another imperfect person will ne never do that for you. But marriage is often the place that we just stop with this whole idea of how much we need each other. Let me give you an illustration of my mom. She's 81 years old, and uh, she uh, lost her husband seven years ago, and she has been struggling uh, through that period with some bouts of loneliness, which is only to be expected, right? And so she's tried to make friends with women in her church, and she's made some nice friendships there. But my mom has this peculiar um, skill or this peculiar hobby. It's shooting guns. So <laughs> she picked this up, like, in her late 70s. So she likes shooting shotguns and, like, pistols, and, and so she, she joined this western shooting club out in Tombstone, Arizona, and she'll drive out there, and she's like the oldest woman out there, I think the, the only woman out there, which, which makes her the oldest, too, yeah, and, and, and uh, so she's out there doing that, and she goes to these shooting ranges, and she's meeting, you know, some men there, and I'm like freaking out 
What are you doing meeting men at shooting ranges? That's just, and you're, you're like almost 80. And uh, anyway, she met this guy named Jack. They have become best friends. They, they love each other deeply. Um, because of their, they're both Christians and they want to honor God and their sexuality, they don't sleep together or any of that, but they're, they see each other every day. They hang out uh, and they go shooting and they do stuff together. And mom said, you know, I have these women friends at church, but none of them like to shoot. And I'm like, well, go figure, mom. 81-year-olds aren't out shooting 45 caliber guns, you know. And, uh, but she has never been happier just in this relationship with this guy. And so we can really pursue those deep, uh, intimate, re non-sexual relationships with friends in ways that we really get the benefit of that male and female counterpart that we need so much. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that we as men and women um, will uh, always fit into a specific uh, gender mold or behaviors. Um, culture is always trying to define what is a good role, what's good behavior, what's bad behavior, um, and things in our culture are changing quite a bit and quite rapidly. Some for the good and some for the bad. Um, in the in a good way is shedding off the old leave it to beaver 50s kind of typecast for men and women. Um, and in another not so good way, creating a hundred new definitions for gender just creates a whole new confusion in our culture. But the Bible um, is clear that God made men and women unique and different, but it also is a little bit vague or relatively silent on uh, gender-specific behaviors. Um, for example, the Bible tells women to dress modestly, to cover their head when they pray, to not wear jewelry, and to not braid their hair. And for me, the takeaway is modesty, right? Because we don't feel like we need to cover our head when we go to pray. We pray all the time. And so we don't, we wear jewelry and um, some of us braid our hair. So for me, the takeaway is dressing modestly, being modest in our behavior and the way we dress. And then also in the, back in the Apostle Paul's day, guys um, didn't wear long hair. But the funny thing is, is that's what attracted me to Mike. He had these long, luscious curls. I'm not kidding. It was cute. <laughs> um, but not so much anymore. No. <laughs> anyway, I grew up in Texas, as most of you probably know. And the culture there is really quite different than it here is here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, growing up in Texas, women were um, expected to be stay-at-home moms to be um, home, homemakers. They dressed a certain way, and you always, always, always dress up to go to the mall, high heels and everything. Um, you wore lots of makeup. Um, women kept the house clean. They cooked all the meals, and they changed all the diapers. Um, I can count on uh, probably half of my hand the times that I saw my dad cook, and I think the one time I really actually have a vivid memory of it is he was frying an egg, teaching me how to fry the perfect egg for him. He always expected, he would come uh, sit down at the table and wait to be served. So, and if something wasn't on the table, salt, pepper, onions, he would demand that they be brought to him by either my mom or one of us six sisters. And so that's just kind of the example that I have of men and women's roles growing up. Um, uh, it's a good thing we shed that one. We did shed that one. <laughs> Actually, he's the cook. I can barely cook, y'all. Anyway, um, 
funny thing is, is that my dad told me that I could do anything, be anything, regardless of being a woman. He also kind of broke the conventional mold of, and he put all six of his daughters to work on the farm. So we had to muck horse stalls, we had to bale hay and chase cattle and feed chickens and on and on. The list is way too long. Um, but uh, even though the Bible doesn't give us specific lists, you know, about masculinity or femininity and behaviors for people for all time, for all culture, all um, um, in all time and all cultures, there's what I really believe to be um, stamped on a woman is that ability to nurture and care. Um, I, I feel like that's that's pretty biblical, right? Don't you think? Um, in Isaiah 49, 15, it says, Can a mother forget her baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. So really what it's saying here is that a woman, it's really kind of impossible. If you're really a good mom, you're not going to diss your baby. Um, but if you, if you did, God is going to make up for that. And God cares for us in that way. Um, he nurtures us in that way. Women are the ones who carry a baby. Um, we, care, we nurture that baby in our womb. We, um, we nurse that baby after the baby is born. Uh, uh, what did I want to say? Just that moms provide a, a unique nurture for our babies, even um, while they're young. Yep. And, you know, I think it is biblical because God is both feminine and masculine. Um, that might rock somebody's world here. Uh, but the truth is, is we both come from him. And so it makes sense that he has both. And when we look at the scripture, we see this nurturing, caring uh, kind of uh, aspect and characteristic of God in our lives. Now, God is referred to as God the Father for sure. And uh, so we see that, but we're much more schooled in that than I think we often are in the fact that there is this other aspect. To but it. if I could really quickly say that mm -hmm. I don't think nurturing is always a real coddling thing, that there's times when we nurture as women and it's, um, it shows up in really strong ways, like in Proverbs 31. It says, she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. Um, with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's strong. She's courageous. She's hardworking. She's generous. She's a sharp businesswoman. And what's driving her is her love for God and her love for family and to nurture and care for her family. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also. He praises her. So a godly woman is a feminine woman. She nurtures and cares for other, others. She perceives needs and has sensitivities towards uh, relationships in her family and outside of her family. And the exact way that we nurture as women is going to show up in different ways with all of us. So no, no two of us will be the like, and, and, and in our marriage, it will yeah. be. And different. you compliment me tremendously in our marriage. Um, why don't you share a couple of the ways that you do? Yeah, I think um, what comes to mind first is just the way that, um, well, just motherhood, in, right? It's the obvious one. 
Um, when uh, our kids were growing up, there were many, many times that I would notice something, a need or something that they um, were going through that maybe it just went right past him. He didn't even see. And I was able to bring that to light, and then we were able to help them. Um, even as they've grown with their own families, there's times when I'm able to see something, bring it to light, and then we're either able to help financially or encourage them in a way that they need that probably could not come from anyone but us or pray for them together. Yeah. And matter of fact, the, um, there's some research out that has come out not long ago that has to do with emotional intelligence and that women have outscored men hands down on the EQ uh, testing. Organizational awareness, they're higher in coaching and mentoring, inspirational leadership, adaptability. The only one that they didn't exceed a man on was emotional self-control. And uh, <laughs> they, they didn't lose that one either, though. They tied. And uh, so it just goes to show you that this stuff is not just made up. It's, some of it is just that women do have a capacity that men do not have, and we need each other. Yeah, I'm more of a multitasker, and I can go in and out of multiple conversations and thoughts and ideas, all while I'm working on a focused goal. Mike, he more is a linear thinker, and he doesn't like spinning things around and multiple conversations and thoughts all at yeah, once. So this talk is just amazing for me. <laughs> it's, it's so nonlinear. It's, non, it's a little bit nonlinear, but... I don't know if it's my spaghetti way of thinking, or I know there's probably a little ADD throwing in there, um, or what. But when Mike and I sit down to talk, and we were, we're going to talk about something that's on his heart or mine, I have to really strain to keep things linear and to not be spinning all those. Sometimes I am spinning, and I just don't tell you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's what I do for him. And he, he, tries, he tries to... And it helps. You try to think yeah. like a spaghetti. I like thinking about 10 different things at once. <laughs> it, it does help. It really does. Well, let's talk about manhood for a moment, can we? What, what a man looks like, what a man acts like here in Spokane probably looks and acts a little different than maybe a person in New York City or a person in Kenya or a person somewhere else, right? It's very cultural uh, and there's a context to it. Uh, in Spokane, you know, uh, kind of like the man's man of Spokane, probably drives a, a really nice pickup truck, you know, <laughs> off the ground. It's packing heat, likes micro beers, dresses in flannel, whatever. Make your own judgment, right? Your own stereotype. But uh, the Bible doesn't really teach, as Tisa said, you know, exactly how we're supposed to live out these uh, these like roles and dress codes and all of that that society puts up for us. Um, but let me, give, let me give those in the room who might be struggling with some confusion around your gender, or maybe you have a child that is, or a friend that is. And uh, first, let me just say that I know that that is a very real struggle, and that that, that hurts the heart of God, and that we, as a church, should also hurt with that. Um, let me also say, though, if you're in that place of chaos, that place of confusion, and you're trying to figure things out and bring, get to a place of clarity, don't sexually explore. Absolute worst decision you'll make. That will not clear up 
confusion. It will only make things worse. And you'll probably end up in a place God never intended you to be. What we really need is to understand that to, for all of us to really get our identity, we need each other. We need community. We need our identity grounded in God's word. And, and so uh, I would encourage you, get into community. Get into a church community or a life group. Get, in, get some other godly people around you that won't sit and judge you, but will show compassion and understanding and will pray for you and help you walk through that place until you come to the place of more of a, a sense of clarity on those issues. So what does the Bible say about being a man? Let's talk about that because it actually does say some things about what does it look like to be a real man, a masculine man. And I want to look at two people briefly, uh, both of them men, Adam and Jesus, the first man ever made, Adam. Let's start with him. In uh, verse 28, we learn about Adam's kind of mission that God gave him. God blessed them, that's both the man and the woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first man we see in Genesis, he was divinely created for success, masculine success in his intelligence, in his strength. He was favored by God. He had this huge mission to do. He could rule and subdue. He was set up for great adventure. And all he had to do were these three basic things. Adam had a will to obey. Adam had work to do. And Adam had a woman to love and care for. These were Adam's responsibilities as a man. But we know in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam failed on all three of those levels. Adam refused to obey God's will. God made it very clear what his will was, and, and Adam refused it. And he became passive in life. He shirked his leadership, and in doing so, he didn't protect his wife, the woman that God had called him to care for. And she ended up believing the serpent's lies, and then Adam ends up blaming the whole deal on her. And that sin has affected all men for all time. But generations later, what we see is a second Adam, a second man by the name of Jesus. Jesus, the Gospels make clear that he is God the Son, that he is sovereign, that he is Lord. But it also makes clear that Jesus was a man, flesh and blood, heart and mind, like every other man that's ever lived. And Jesus had those very same three responsibilities, a will to obey. He was to submit to God. He had a work to do, and that work was the work of redemption. And he had a woman to love and care for, and that was the bride of Christ. Look at the masculinity of Jesus. As with the first Adam, Jesus' greatest test took place in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas and the Roman guard came and Jesus could have slipped away into the darkness and left him to fight that battle, or he could have just stood up and in, in, in some kind of uh, masculine strength, uh, tried to strike everybody down with a sword or call angels, but instead he obeyed God's will. And at that moment, he was the most masculine man that has ever lived because he gave his life for you and me. All of his God-given responsibilities coming together during that night of grief and betrayal set before him God's way or his own way. And we each have that, don't we? 
We're either going to walk out God's way or it's going to be my way. But he said, God, I want your will, not my own. Adam, the man, chose selfishness and passivity over responsibility. Take away his man card, right? But here Jesus, on the other hand, did the very opposite thing. He showed selflessness and courage in the midst of his greatest trial. He was a real man. He rejected the passivity. And he loved his bride, which was his church, which is you and me, bravely as he took a stand. So a real man, what does that look like? A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects God's greater reward. Now, that is true of a man, whether you are a stay-at-home dad or a Navy SEAL, whether you wear skinny jeans or Carhartt pants. doesn't matter. See, that is timeless. It's not a social construct. That is what it means, and that is how Jesus lived his life. Now, let me wrap things up really quickly here. Um, what does this mean? What it means is that we are uniquely created, and we are different. And we need each other as men and women. And if you're married, I want to just challenge you. If you're, if you're the husband and you're married, how's your attitude towards your wife? Do you really see her as your equal? Do you really see that you need her feminine qualities uh, of intelligence, of emotion, of emotional uh, intelligence, and of the way in which he processes information, that that can impact you in the most positive way if you let it? And as women, um, if you're married or in a, if you are in a, a serious relationship with a significant other, um, how are you serving that person? Um, how are you trying to understand the difference between the two of you and how you think in your thinking process? And women, are you trying to think linear? <laughs> yeah. And let's say you're a business owner um, or you're a team leader. Are you bringing men and women together because of the value and the, and the benefit that there's a synergy there and that we need each other's qualities, not just... Uh, our strengths or our spiritual gifts uh, or our personalities, but we also need the very gender itself. We need what masculinity, what femininity brings to processing, to problem solving, to conflict resolution, and to innovation and everything else. So, lastly, let me just say, if you're here and you just don't feel like you fit the norms, let me encourage you uh, not just to cave into the culture. Let me encourage you to seek God to invite other people into your life, to get in community, and, and to uh, apply this scripture from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you created us so different and you created us unique, and you created us to need each other. Lord, thank you that all we have to do is look to you and look to Scripture in order to really see what are those things that transcend all culture and, 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 and transcend specific time periods and really are things we can apply in our lives that we can stay true to. 
and know, God, that you have a plan to, uh, to work within us that brings us into abundance and fruitfulness. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross, Jesus, that you're redeeming us, that you're loving us, and that you're continuing to change us. And we pray, Lord, that you help us walk this out in ways that really make a difference, that you'll for help us leave this place and have some conversations and have some important times of reflection where we can live this out more effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, before you go this morning, I want to just point your attention again to this Bible reading card. It's called our PBJ card. It's a, it's a great way to just continue to be praying, to be searching the Scripture, to see uh, what it says, as well as um, reflecting and writing. So take one of these with you. We have one new every series. And then lastly, the prayer wall has been an amazing thing. And as I've and many of you have been praying over these prayer requests, we want to hear the answers. And I know that every single one of them has not been answered yet. But uh, would you come next week ready to write out, we'll have the card for you, but ready to write out where has God been answering some of these prayers that we have been asking. We would love to just give God the glory for those things, whether it's fully answered or partially answered. Um, but come ready to do that, okay? Well, have a wonderful day. God bless you. We'll see you next week.